Well, and everybody said, amen, amen. Get situated. Well, good morning. If you have your Bibles, I invite you to turn to the Old Testament narrative of the book of Ruth. Uh, we, uh, if you haven't been with us, we have been uh, in a summer series uh, called Not Forsaken, where we have been studying through uh, the book of Ruth. And so uh, I'll give you time to flip there. Uh, if you don't, if you have trouble finding that, don't feel ashamed to look in the table of contents in the front and find the page number. Uh, and if anybody looks at you weird, just let me know, and uh, I'll punch them in the face. Uh, uh, but anyway, it, uh, while you're flipping, there are just a few announcements. The first one is be in prayer for Luke. Uh, I, I told y'all last week that I thought that he was beginning to make up names of churches because uh, I never heard of them, and I got another one this morning that I'm fairly confident it's not a real church. Uh, uh, but anyway, he is today through Wednesday. He is at Tapasaw Baptist Church in Brookhaven. Uh, no, I'm kidding. I know that's a real church. You be praying for him. Uh, he's there till Wednesday, uh, and then he leaves Friday to go to Arkansas to do a disciple now, uh, Friday and Saturday. Uh, and so somebody asked me this morning, will his schedule ever slow down? Yeah, when summer slows down, he will slow down as well. Uh, and so, but anyway, continue to be uh, in prayer for him uh, and know that as the Lord uses him, he's also using our prayers as a church to, to use Luke even the more to see people come to know the Lord. Uh, last week, I made an announcement about uh, uh, what we're having on August the 15th. August the 15th, we are having uh, what we are calling Vision Night. And so uh, if you've been a part of Crosspoint in the past, uh, you've heard the word Vision Night and usually just referred to, to small group leaders and things like that. But we're changing that up. And so at uh, the beginning of this year, uh, I began to lay out, we began to lay out a kind of a new direction for our church and being, being a gospel-driven, gospel-centered church. And our main focus was, first of all, in our, our Sunday morning service. And then I told you, come fall, we're going to begin to lay out some new vision for small groups and different ministries and things like that within our church. And so that's what August the 15th is about. And so August the 15th, from 5 p.m. to 6.30, here in the sanctuary, uh, we're going to have what we're calling Vision Night. So let me tell you who this is for. This is for anybody who currently serves or volunteers in any capacity. That means from a small group leader, a host home, to in the media or in the booth, from the stage, to kids. Like if you volunteer in any capacity, I need you to be at this. Or if you have a desire to. Uh, and so if you have a desire to work or volunteer, say, Justin, I just haven't been able to connect anywhere. This is what this night is for. We have uh, some things that we're going to talk about, just how, why we serve. We're going to talk about the why. Why are we called to serve within the church? Is it just something we do? Or, and how does that connect to what we want to be and do at Crosspoint? And so be here for that and say, uh, so if you want to, I, tell you, I made a joke about this last week. If you want them to serve in the, in the kids' ministry, and there's going to be opportunity to connect to that and say, Justin, I haven't heard that yet. And I told you this last week, and the Lord told me to tell you it again today. I am his mouthpiece this morning to tell you your need to work in the kids' ministry. And so uh, the Holy Spirit is speaking directly to me through me to you this morning, uh, but anyway, kids ministry, uh, youth ministry, the, the worship teams, and uh, one I'm excited about is we're, we're going to put together what we're calling a hospitality team, uh, where we take care of families whenever someone dies. We make sure we have people who take care of that. The uh, when Sometime in the past, we took... Uh, like bridal showers and baby showers and hand them to the small group. And those things are great, but what happens is, is 
If you're not a part of that small group, you don't really get to love on that, that mom or that bride and that kind of deal. So we want to bring it back to the church again. Uh, and so if you're interested, say, hey, I love to host. I love to love on people. I love to feed people. We got a, we got a spot for you. We're really excited about that. Anyway, there's, those things are going on. So August the 15th, 5 to 630, if you currently serve or have a desire to serve, and I will say this, you don't have to be a member of Crosspoint to come to this. This would be a good opportunity for you to hear more about Crosspoint and even and what we uh, what we're about. So that night we will connect, we will have all of our ministry heads there. Uh, look at it like a job fair. We'll come in. Uh, we're gonna have, we're gonna eat that night, so food will be provided. Uh, and then around this uh, building, there'll be different every ministry place that you can plug into with a ministry head there, and they're gonna connect with you. Get your name, number, and then sometime between August the fifteenth and September first, you will have a meeting with that person or those people, and we'll begin to f- formulate plans and things like. That. And so that's that. Uh, there will be child care provided. Uh, and so we will eat. We'll be child care provided. Uh, let's see. Uh, we'll begin sign-ups for that next Sunday. Uh, and so if you know you want to come, you can tell me, but we'll have an uh, actual sign-up because we need to know how much food to get and things like that. So next week we'll start signing up for that. All right. That's enough announcements. Ruth, chapter 4. We have made it to chapter 4, y'all. And just uh, through the summer, it didn't take us... 45 weeks just took us a few, and so we made it, and so I'm excited about it. And so we will spend this week and next week in Ruth chapter 4. Uh, so next week will be our final week uh, in this great narrative, and I hope, man, I really do hope that you, the book of Ruth has come alive uh, even more real to you than ever has before, uh, that you've been able to see the heart of God in the book of Ruth, not just a love story, which it's there. Uh, they, I mean, today today's like the, the climax of that love story. Like, it's like, yeah, here it goes, like kind of a deal. Uh, but I hope you've been able to see it more than just a, ro- a romance, that you've been able to see actually the heart of God and been able to see uh, the, the grand storyline of Scripture, of redemption, that, that and ultimately I hope you've seen yourself in Ruth, that we were a foreigner, penniless foreigner, that we had no hope apart from someone of standing uh, to take notice of us, for our eyes, for their eyes to fall upon us. And, uh, and so anyway, Ruth chapter 4. I'll tell you how, if you haven't been with us, I see a lot of visitors, and so I'm going to just kind of tell you how we've been doing this. What we've been doing is we've been reading, this, reading the text, uh, we will tell the story, then I'll pull out truths from that story and then how those things point us to Christ. And so that's the formula we followed all series long. So I'll read it. We'll look at the, uh, the story, truths, Christ. Everybody follow me? Means yes. All right, we're good. All right, so let's read. I'm just going to read the first 12 verses. Ruth chapter 4, beginning in verse 1. It says, Now Boaz had gone up to the gate and sat down there, and behold, the Redeemer of whom Boaz had spoken came by. Let me pause there for a moment. I, I realize this is that if you weren't here with us last week, chapter three ends by uh, Ruth finally making a move because it had been six to seven weeks with Ruth working in Boaz's fields and nothing was really going on. So the wise Naomi told Ruth, go to his threshing floor there, uncover his feet and do what he, just do what he says after that. But what happened is, is that Boaz proves himself to be a man of integrity once again and says, yes, I can redeem you. Uh, 
there's, uh, there's two things in the background that actually I don't even have to explain anymore because Boaz will explain it in chapter 4. And so when we read it, you'll go, oh, that's what we've been talking about the past six weeks or five weeks, whatever. But anyway, and so the story ends by Boaz, say, or chapter 3 ends by Boaz telling Ruth, go back to Naomi's house because, yes, I'm an eligible kinsman, but there's somebody before me. Uh, and so I need to go talk to him to see if he will marry you and purchase the land of Elimelech. So that's where we are. So now, chat back, jump back to verse four, chapter 4. So Boaz had gone up to the gate, sat down there, and behold, the Redeemer, the Redeemer he was talking about, uh, came by. So Boaz said, turn aside, friend, sit down there. Just for free, if you have some free time, or maybe you have a King James Version, go look at how the King James Version translates, sit down, friend. It's really funny. Uh, you'll laugh about it. Anyway, uh, and he turned aside and sat down. That's not me knocking at King James funny. It's King James Version is really funny how he's like, whoa, who, you? Uh, but anyway, uh, it sounds like he's from Africa or something. But anyway, he said, to, he said verse two, and he took 10 men, of the, of the elders of the city and said, sit down here. So he tells the uh, redeemer to sit down. And he tells the 10 men to sit down. So they sit down. Then he said to the redeemer, Naomi, who has come back from the country of Moab, is selling the parcel of land that belonged to our relative Elimelech. So I thought I would tell you of it and say, buy it in the presence of those sitting here in the presence of the elders of my people. If you will redeem it, redeem it. But if you will not tell me that I may know, for there is no one besides you to redeem it, and I come after you. And he said, I will redeem it. Plot twist, right? Like, wait, no. He says, I will redeem it. And then, then Boaz, crafty Boaz, said this. The day you buy the field from the hand of Naomi, you also acquire Ruth the Moabite. That's the first time she's been called the Moabite since chapter 2, by the way. He's really just saying you know, anyway, so Ruth the Moabite, the widow of the dead, in order to perpetuate the name of the dead in his inheritance. Then the Redeemer said, I cannot redeem it for myself, lest I impair my, I impair my own inheritance. Take my right of redemption yourself, for I cannot redeem it. Now, this was the custom in former times in Israel concerning redeeming and exchanging. To confirm a transaction, the one drew off his sandal and gave it to the other. Can you imagine going to the bank and doing that? Uh, one drew off his sandal and gave it to the other, and this was the manner of attesting in Israel. Just try it next time. When they're trying to get your social security number, just give them your sandal. Uh, verse 8 says, So when the Redeemer said to Boaz, Buy it for yourself, he drew off, and he drew off his sandal. Then Boaz said to the elders and all the people, You are witnesses this day that I have bought from the land of Naomi, all that belonged to Elimelech and all that belonged to Kilion and, and Malon, also Ruth the Moabite, the widow of Malon, I have bought, my, bought her to be my wife to perpetuate the name of the dead in his, in, uh, in his inheritance, that the name of the dead may not be cut off from among his brothers and from the gate of his native uh, place. You are witnesses this day that all the people who were at the gate and the elders said, we are witnesses. May the Lord make the woman who is coming into your house like Rachel and Leah, who together built up the house of Israel. Uh, may you act worthily in Ephrathah uh, and be renowned in Bethlehem. May, the, may your house be like the house of Perez, who Tamar bore to Judah because of the offspring that the Lord will give you by this young woman. Uh, let's pray. Father, we love you.
God, we pray now that uh, your word will do as it is uh, equipped to do, and that is to, to speak to us, to challenge us, to instruct us. God, I pray that uh, as we study your scriptures, you give us eyes to see, ears to hear, and hearts to believe. Uh, that's this, what you have for us this morning. It's in Christ's name we pray. And everybody said, amen. So what I want to do now is I just kind of want to walk through the story. Uh, uh, Alistair begged, he had a cool way to just show up the story, so I'm just going to borrow this. And really, is there's, a, there's a couple different words that we look at to set up the story. First of all, there's the gate. So if you're taking notes, what does the story look like? Number one, the gate. Verse one says, now Boaz had gone up to the gate. Why the gate? Why is the gate important? The first thing in the morning, uh, and so chapter three ends, it's at night, right? Um, Ruth stays there during the night. Early in the morning at some point, she goes back to Naomi's house, and the first thing in the morning, we think, is that, that, that Boaz then goes to the gate. And there was very strategic here, very strategic why Boaz would go to the gate. Uh, the, 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 the cities back in the, those days, they were very tight and crammed and there wasn't much business that happened within the city. Most of it was at the gate because at the gate there was room. And at the gate, uh, if you read through scriptures, uh, you'll see that there were uh, trading that happened there. There were business transactions that happened at the gate. But also what we understand in scriptures that there were at the gate, there were, this was a place that uh, uh, legal matters happened. That, uh, that's why the elders would have been there. They just didn't just happen to be there. That They were there because that's where they hung out because they took care of legal matters at the gate. Here's some uh, passages for you just to kind of show you that. You can write these down. They're not going to come up on the screen. Uh, 2 Samuel 15, 2. Uh, Deuteronomy 22, 15, uh, Lamentations 5, 14. All those will give you the picture of the gate that we see here in Ruth chapter four when Boaz goes there. It's the first thing he does. He's on a mission. He's going to talk to the Redeemer, right? And so where does he go? He goes to the place that he has the best chance to see the Redeemer. He positions himself in the right place. Uh, Miss Fleeta this morning before church, whenever the band was meeting, uh, she said, I just felt like I need a word. And I almost gave this word. And when I went to my office, it wasn't originally in my notes. And so I felt like I should give this word this morning. One thing that he does is that he, 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 he desired something, right? So what did he do? He put himself in the right place. He put himself in the prescribed place by the word of God to be just in case somebody came by. And here's just a side note, a side truth, a side note on the screen, is that many times if we want to meet with God, if we want to get to go know God more than more times than not, we need to put ourselves in the right place to be able to hear from God and, and to experience God and to come to know God and worship God. And so we see here just a little side truth here is that his position enhances uh, a probability of what coming into and the Redeemer. The cool thing is, is that it was where God's word had prescribed for him to go. And we as believers, we have been prescribed where to meet with God and to know God and to grow in love and more in love with his people. But anyway, that has nothing to do with the story. That was just uh, something I thought about this morning, Miss Felita. Uh-huh, that was for you. If nobody else needed it, that was for Miss Felita. Uh, so he sets himself up at the gate. And here's what's really cool. The reason he's going to the gate is to talk to this redeemer, this redeemer that was closer in line, uh, according to lever and marriage, to actually get to marry Ruth. And we talked about this last week, is that Mil uh, Kilion and Malon, they, they both had died. There was no other brother. So therefore, there was no obligation technically for 
for uh, Boaz to fulfill that lever of marriage because there was no brothers there. Also, uh, Ruth, neither, she was neither obligated, per se, to fulfill the lever of marriage for the sake of uh, Naomi. However, because their willingness and love for one another, we see them continuing to honor their commitments uh, to one another. But here's something I noticed, and maybe this is me trying to read Jesus into this too much, but in, in Deuteronomy 25, verse 7, uh, this is what it says. This is about lever marriage. Uh, it says, if the man does not wish to take his brother's wife, so that's lever marriage. And sorry, I'm speaking about that like all of you have been here every Sunday. Lever marriage made provision. If, if there were two brothers, one of them was married, one of them died, uh, in order to keep the name of that family, the name of the one who died, uh, to continue on in Israel, uh, God has ri- had written in his word for the brother who was still surviving to marry that wife and have a kid, and that kid would take on the name of the deceased brother. So that's lever marriage there. Uh, just bring you up to speed there. Say, Justin, that sounds weird. Hey, that's what happened in the Bible. I told you last week, everything the Bible describes doesn't mean it's prescribing it for us. But anyway, different time. And so verse chapter Deuteronomy 25, 7 says, if the man does not wish to take his brother's wife, then, so check this out, then his brother's wife shall go up to the gate to the elders and say, my husband's brother refuses to perpetuate his brother's name in Israel. He will not perform the duty of a husband." A brother to me. So, whose job actually, who was it to actually go to the gate? It would have been Ruth's. And here we have Boaz taking the initiative to do what Ruth should have been doing. So I just wanted you to catch that. I'm going to tie that in to the end for some of you already following. So why the gate? Boaz was doing, uh, do, Boaz was doing for her what she should have done for herself. He was going to the place where people would be so that the laws of the law may be administered. So we see he goes to the gate and he gets to the gate that all of a sudden the Redeemer that he was talking about passes by. If you remember in chapter two, when we talked about when Ruth set out to go uh, work a field and maybe find favor and by chance she chanced upon the irony that she ended up in Boaz's field is the same terminology that we see here is a, by chance uh, uh, the, the redeemers are in the ball by. So what we even see here is this God's redemptive sovereignly working all things in the manner. So he, he shows up to the gate and then that redeemer walks by. God is working in the ordinary life of the people. As Boaz was doing the way, this is good for you, church. This isn't even going to come to the screen. As Boaz was doing things the way that God had told him to, God was doing what only God could do. He knew to go to the gate. And as he was being obedient, God was doing something even greater than that, that only God could do. He was orchestrating for this Redeemer's feet to go through this path. And so... So he says, friend, uh, really could be translated, hey, so-and-so, sit down. Uh, He says, sit down, and we don't get the Redeemer's name. We just know he's a Redeemer. Uh, A couple reasons why his name isn't there. It could be that the writer of the narrative didn't want to embarrass the family, but it could also be a judgment thing. We see, we read that he chooses not to, and and so, well, you wanted to save your inheritance, and your name won't, won't even be remembered. There's a, I think there's a, some kind of truth in there, trying to save your own name, save your own life that you actually lose it. So first we see the gate. He comes to the gate. He calls for the Redeemer to sit down. He calls for the 
elders sit down. Then there's the negotiation. We see Boaz get really crafty here uh, in verses uh, uh, three. He said to, to, said to the redeemer, hey, there's this land. Will you redeem it? Absolutely. I will take that land. That will be great for me. But as soon as you take that land, there's also a widow named Ruth. And she's a Moabite. All right, we haven't, we, <laughs> she hasn't been called Moabite since chapter two. And so I think Boaz, obviously Boaz is a good man, but he's also wanting to get what he wants. And so he's like, well, yeah, the land sounds good, but there's also Ruth. You're going to have to marry her, and she's a Moabite, and, you know, you know, anyway. And so anyway, because of that, the Redeemer says, I don't want to redeem the land. And he says, you do it. And so then we see the sandal, right? Uh, in verse seven, he says, so this was the custom, which is weird that whenever there was an exchange happened, you take off a sandal, hand it to you. So the Redeemer, and so everybody's watching this, right? And so he takes off the sandal, hands it to Boaz and says, it's all yours. The land, Ruth, you, it's all yours. And so then we see that Boaz then turns to the elders there and says, hey, you all are witnesses here. You've all seen this. This is what happened. I gave him the opportunity. He didn't take it. He's given me a sandal. I've got proof. You saw, and they all said, yes, we are witnesses. And then they pray a prayer, a blessing over that. So what are the truths here? There's a story. What are the truths there's a lot here that I just had to kind of just pick through. So number one, I'm going to go in sequential order to the chapter. Number one, if you're taking notes, doing things his way is always the best way to do them. This whole story is set up by people doing things the way that God had called them to do. And I'm not saying every time that you're do, if you're following in obedience means that everything's going to work out for you. That's not what I'm saying. But even if you do the things his way and it doesn't necessarily have the most greatest circumstances, it's still the best way to live. Like doing things his way is always the best way to do life. In finances, in business, in, in, in your marriage, in relationships, at the school place, at the workplace, doing things his way. God, listen, what I love about God's word and who God is is that he has told us everything we need to know about life and how to know him and love him and enjoy him. Let's just do the things his way. And listen to that doesn't mean we don't get terminal disease and doesn't mean that things don't happen. What I'm saying is I would rather do things his way and get a terminal disease than do things my way and end up in a place far, far away from him. Doing things his way is always the best way. Every time. We see that through Boaz over and over again. We see it in, in Ruth. She was doing it his way. There's He's provided a, that I could go glean in the field. I'm doing it his way. Now, obviously, the story turned out great for them, and I, I'm, not going, I'm not trying to tell you that if you do everything, obviously we can't, but if you, if, you, if, you, if, you, if you have the perfect faith, if you will, if there's such a thing, that nothing bad's gonna happen to you. That's not what I'm saying. Because there was one who lived the perfect life, and a lot of bad happened to him. His name's Christ. And so what I'm saying is, is, Hey, the best way to live is his way. And he's given it to us in the scripture. Number two, I had to think a lot of how to say this one. So 
I put an asterisk on the end of it so I can explain it to you. It says, we experience the blessing of knowing Jesus when we are walking in obedience to him. And I put an asterisk on there because somebody out of the way, well, we can't walk in perfect obedience. Does that mean I don't have the blessing anymore? That's not what I'm saying at all. What I'm saying is, is that we have, at, at the moment of salvation, we, ex, we get all of salvation, all of justification that we will ever get. We are completely reconciled to him. And yes, I know that if I am disobedient, there is a gift of mercy and grace of forgiveness. But that's where the asterisk is. That for the believer hey, I'm glad that we understand the grace and the forgiveness of God. But when we're walking the way that he's called us to walk and designed for the believer's life, we experience a closeness to him that, that is deeper than just, please forgive me, I messed up again. That we, we, we learn what it means to be dependent upon him. We learn what it means to, to treasure him more than anything. And actually, for the first time, we actually understand the meaning of life whenever we're walking to, according to his will and walking in his ways. And whenever we, as children of God, yes, we fail and yes, we mess up. And I guess this is connected to that first point, that whenever we're walking in obedience, ultimately, when we submit and surrender to the lordship of Christ, we say, God, you're the boss. You're the Lord. That's whenever we truly begin to experience the depths and the richness of his kindness and his mercy and his grace. Number three. There's literally in chapter four there, I could have done a whole marriage series because there's a lot going on with a wedding. Ultimately, this is a, a wedding, even though she was in there, this is what's going on. There's witnesses and it's public and things like that. But I don't know if you caught it, but go to verse nine again. This is after he gets the sandal. So he's, I don't know if he's, could you imagine what he looks like as he turns around, as he holds a sandal and he's talking to the witnesses like this, like I've got the sandal. Uh, anyway, I'm trying to get that image in my mind. Uh, but anyway, he turns to them and he says, you are witnesses this day that I have bought the, uh, from, the, from the hand of Naomi the land, and I've also bought Ruth to be my wife. And here's the first reason he gives, to perpetuate the name of the dead and his inheritance. Now, I'm not saying that Boaz is saying the main reason, the only reason he's marrying Ruth is because of this legal thing. But what we see, I, I believe he really loves her, but his act is a very selfless thing, even walking into marriage. And so point number three is that, actually, sorry, that's number four. I jumped ahead. Sorry, Bo. I'll go ahead and give you this one. Marriage is not about what I can get out of it. That's the truth that I had this morning because here's Elimelech said, I mean, here's Bo says, I'm doing this to preserve the name of Elimelech. It's a very selfless thing. Here's the I guess this would be number four now. It's actually number three. Uh, and it's probably already on the screen is, yeah. The Redeemer wanted the, the blessing, but he didn't want the bride. He wanted the field, but he didn't want the commitment to someone. And that's the picture of us as followers of Christ. We can't have the blessing of knowing Christ without the bride of Christ. 
You can't say, yeah, I want Jesus, but not his, not his church. And it doesn't happen. I remember P.J. Weeks said a few years ago that saying that you love Jesus and not his church is like telling a man you like him, but not his wife. That relationship's not going to work out too well. Uh, and that's the picture here is that we understand that when it comes to becoming a follower of Christ, we can't just say, I want Jesus, but not his bride. It's, a, it's an impossible. You can't divorce the two. We see that imagery there. All right. Moving on, where can we see Christ in this? There are four truths that got them mixed up, but there you go. Where can we see Christ in this? This is real good. Like Boaz, Jesus took the initiative and fulfilled the law on our behalf. Like Boaz, who get up early in the morning, went to the gate on something that was Ruth's thing to do, Boaz took the initiative and did what she should have done for herself. Like Boaz, Jesus takes the initiative and fulfilled the law on our behalf, right? And so that's the picture of the gospel is that when Christ came, he came to, if you will, the gate, to the, to the people. He came and he took initiative and there he fulfilled the righteous demands of the law. This is where it gets even better. Like Boaz, Jesus became like us in order to redeem us. Do you know why Boaz could redeem Ruth? Because he was kin to her. He was like her. And Christ became like us so that he could redeem us. He took on flesh. He, he, He wrapped himself in humanity and he came and fulfilled the law on our behalf. And in doing so, he redeems us. And here's where it gets better. Number three, Like Boaz, Jesus publicly redeemed us and makes us his bride. He didn't do it in some secret corner. He didn't just do it in heaven. No, he went to where the people are, where justice was going to be demanded. And he he nailed it. He was nailed to a cross in front of all people, ultimately fulfilling the, the, the righteous demands of the law there. And in doing so, he pays a big price to redeem us. Oh, it's even better than that. See, Boaz had witnesses that day that said, yes, we are witnesses. When Jesus was nailed to a cross and publicly redeemed us, he was buried, but the Father in heaven was the witness and said, I approve. Yes, we are witnesses. And I'll end with this one. Hey, y'all can get to go. Well, it depends on how long this point takes me. Number four. Like Boaz, Jesus provides for us a future and a hope. Jesus takes the initiative and fulfills the law. Jesus became like us in order to redeem us. He publicly redeemed us and makes us his bride, a penniless foreigner. He calls and says, you are my bride. And it's all under the witness of the Father and it provides for us a future in our hope. Boaz took Naomi and Ruth, who had no future, who had no hope, redeemed them, bought back their land, married Ruth to carry on the name. He gave them a future and a hope. And this morning I felt led in this direction that this story is, it starts out so sad. What'd you call it sad? You have three widows. There's a famine in Bethlehem. So they go to Moab and there they all become widows. They come back 
They have nothing. For weeks, Ruth is wearing her weeping clothes her, that marked her as a widow. And for a season, they were in this so bad that if a lot of things I'm saying, you say, just I don't know what I'm talking about, just go back and listen to sermons before. I try not to go do that again because I'll spend 30 minutes doing that and spend 10 minutes where I need to be. But in chapter one, see, Naomi's name means pleasant. At the end of chapter one, when she gets back to Bethlehem and they say, is this Naomi? Is this pleasant? She says, do not call me Naomi anymore. Call me Mara because I'm bitter. Mara means bitter. So that's the, that's the story here. This is the real life ordinary story, right? Let's connect it to me and you for a second. It's the real life ordinary story. You have a lady who's lost her husband and lost her sons. You have another woman who's lost her husband. How do we, where do we go from here? How do, what is it, what happens? What, what is life gonna look like? But what you see in every chapter is this glimmer of hope that God is sovereignly working, that God is orchestrating to what field she's gonna walk in. And at a certain time, this redeemer is gonna walk through the gate. And what you see over and over again is that I feel like as soon as Naomi realized who Boaz was, there was a, a future and a hope that began to go off in her mind because she knew his character. She knew as a man that he had things. And there, this is what kept him there. And that's the picture I wanna kind of give to you this morning is that like Boaz, Jesus has given us a future and a hope. That no matter what you're walking through or have walked through, there is future and there is hope. We see Naomi, the elderly woman, look at the young woman, Ruth, and say, take off those weeping clothes and put on something else. It's time for life to continue on. It's time for life to move forward. It's time to take another step. It's time, listen to me, that doesn't mean the pain is going away, but that what that means is that I'm going to keep living. I'm going to keep breathing. I'm going to keep walking. I'm going to keep going. I'm going to keep doing because Jesus has given me a future and a hope. And the time that I have here, I'm, yeah, I'm going to miss so-and-so. I'm going to struggle with that, but still, I'm still breathing. And if I still got breath in my lungs, then God's not done with me. There's still a purpose, and that purpose can be enjoyed even in the pain, even in the hurting. And so what I think, what I want to tell somebody is that life goes on. You will survive because Jesus has given you hope and a future. Joy will come in the morning. Your morning will be turned to laughter. We see it at the end of this book when Naomi, whenever she has, holds that baby. And I'm not saying all of our stories are this way because I've always been honest about that. Sometimes our, our future and our hope, sometimes our healing or whatever that looks for isn't on this side of eternity. Right? We know many believers who have been sick and have prayed for healing and it just didn't happen Oh, but as soon as they breathe their last breath, ultimate healing. And that's the ultimate future and hope for all of us who name the name of Christ. No matter how bad it is right now, I want to remind you, you've got a future and you've got hope if you know Christ. As soon as Boaz makes this big public thing, Ruth's life was forever changed by a decision that Boaz made. 
and mine and your life is forever changed by a decision that the Son of God made to take on flesh. Listen, not your decision to believe the decision he made to come and redeem us. That's what forever changes everything. To come and take on our likeness. To go to the gate, if you will. To go to the place of, of law executed. To go there and fulfill the, or satisfy the wrath of God under the witness of the Father. <laughs> that's, that's, too, that's too good, church. That forever changes our future and our hope. Because we understand Boaz died one day. Ruth died one day. Jesus died one day, but he didn't remain dead. That's what's different between him and Boaz is that, first of all, he's perfect. Nobody conquered death. So our future and our hope is secure. Hey, the band's going to come back out. And they're going to lead us in a song, and I think that this is an appropriate application for us today. In that imagery, I'm going to leave us with that imagery. That no matter where we are right now, no matter what is in our mind, our heart, our emotions, that we can sing that it is well. We can sing that the wind and the waves still know his name. If you want to give that imagery of, <laughs> actually, this is a good imagery. This shows Boaz's standing. You, friends, sit down. You, elders, sit down. They sat down immediately. Why? Because they knew who Boaz was, right? That's the same picture of Christ, right? Wind, sit down. Wave, sit down. It's a beautiful imagery. So we, we'll sing these truths. And I want you, if you've been struggling, and I feel like super led to do this, if you feel like you've been struggling, and I want to encourage you as a child of God to allow the Holy Spirit to minister that truth to you this morning as we sing it as well. Just sing it until you're, sometimes my heart's not connected with my head's going, sometimes my head's not connected where my heart knows I need to be. Sing until they align. My heart's not feeling it, well, say heart submit it as well. Father, we love you. God, we thank you for your love for us. God, we thank you for your word. God, we thank you for this, this truth that we see in this Old Testament narrative. God, we thank you that we can see in an ordinary life how you work all things, that you take emptiness and, and bring about fullness. But God, more than that, we can see the story of redemption, how this points us to Christ. So this morning, may our eyes turn to Christ. May our hearts be filled with gratitude, understanding about the future and the hope that we have because of the decision that he made to redeem us. God, I pray that your Holy Spirit will minister, be very close and near to every heart in this place. And may we respond to you in a way that glorifies you. It's in Christ's name we pray. And everybody says, hey, amen. You can stand. I'll be standing there on the front. If you need to talk or pray, I'll be here. If you need to make the front of the stage an altar, but you respond as the Lord leads.